There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on February the 3rd, 2010. For newcomers to the show, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website, scroll down the front page, bookmark all the other sites I have listed there for future use. You'll need them once in a while when the big sites go down. And remember, these are the official sites, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, there's cuttingthroughthematrix.net, .us, .ca, Alan Watt, cuttingthroughthematrix.ca, there's cuttingthrough.jenkness.com, and there's Alan Watt, sentientsentinel.eu. The last one is a European site, has all the audios for download, is the same as the rest of them, but it has the addition of transcripts of a lot of the talks I've given over the years, and you can choose from the various languages of Europe. You should print them up and pass them to your friends. I always say this is the tin can moment. I should have to get a tin can and put a couple of cents in it and rattle it here uh, to remind you that you're the audience who bring me to you. I don't get paid by anybody else to promote anything. That's how most shows get their cash. Uh, they bring on guests and so on who, who will really, yeah, they're there to sell you something at the end of the show. So it's up to you to keep me going. And in this way, too, remember, too, I'm, I'm unfettered in a sense. I can say a lot more about different topics uh, that can be kind of iffy at times. So if you can keep me going, that's great. So you can get, you can find how to do so by going into cuttingthroughthematrix.com, buying the books and so on I have for sale, or donating to me. In the U.S., to Canada, Personal checks are good. International postal money order is good from the post office if you don't have a bank account. Cash is good. Western Union uh, MoneyGram uh, is an alternative as well. Or PayPal. And remember, too, with the PayPal button on the website, you can also order. Just send off the PayPal um, donation and then send a separate email to me. Same outside the Americas, uh, Western Union, MoneyGram, Cash, or PayPal. It's up to you how you want to do it. For, the, for those who get the disk burned and passed to them, and they don't play them on the computer, they, they use CD players at home, you can get in touch with me by writing to Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estere, which is E-S-T, A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. The postal code is P as in Peter, the number 3, E as in Elizabeth, the number 4, N as in Nora, the number 1, P, 3, E, 4, N, 1. And synchronicities is something that's interested me my whole life when when I used to wonder if things just popped up across the world, the same topics at the same time, um, by chance, 
Or does, does the media get bored with the same old stories and, and they all get together and put things out there? Now, sometimes that will happen and sometimes it isn't just boredom. Sometimes it's collusion when big agendas are being pushed like global warming and what's supposed to be done about it. Uh, that kind of thing happens. But once in a while, you find out that... Um, that synchronicities certainly do occur, even in your own personal life. Things will pop up. If you're thinking about a, a particular subject, you might just get an email that day that mentions that particular topic. Uh, it might be the first time in a whole year you've, you've heard anybody else mention it. That kind of stuff. But you'll find this, these things in media, these kind of trends, you call them. And I was thinking of the medical system. And... The medical system brought me on to other things. We'll be back with more after this break on this topic. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix. Just talking about the synchronicities that pop up once in a while. But before I get on to the topics, it reminds me of an old, uh, it was a very elderly guy in Mexico, one of the oldest people supposedly to be known in existence, who killed himself a few years back. He committed suicide and he did leave a note and it was in the papers at the time and he said basically he was just bored he was bored at watching life go round and round with the same things happening all the time and with politicians and how they uh, pander to the public to get in, uh, do all, all these odd things which they never talked about when they were running for elections and how they always talked about how the great that they were at serving the public. And it's all lies, basically. And all he had to look forward to was more of the same old nonsense, basically. That, that was it. There was nothing much changed in this guy's life. And the lies were the same and the routines were the same. Well, that's what we get in organized systems that we live in. We call them civilization. We get uh, organizations where people join them, whether it's the military, the police, or, or, or even governments, or a political party. Uh, these are all institutions where you lose technically your identity. You belong to the party. You give up the self when you go in. And then you're indoctrinated into the, to that particular system, and you will stand up to defend that system against all odds. doesn't matter, as I say, if it's police, military, or politics. That's, the, 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 that's basically the nature of organizations. And there's been so much going on about healthcare. This is the synchronicity. It pops up in Canada at the same time as they're talking about bringing in a, a system in the U.S. for the people. And it all sounds wonderful. I mean, it all sounds wonderful what they promise to give you, but you never get that. You, you never get what's promised. Because when politics runs um, a system, it comes down to economics. And remember, political parties have agendas. You can't couple population reduction as, as part of an agenda with helping the people to be well and fit. It, it doesn't equate. There's something missing here. It doesn't work out quite right. On the other hand, I quite understand the greed, the massive, incredible greed within medical systems, even the ones 
that work for the Canadian government and the pharma companies. They're, they're incredible greeders. People, they know, you see, that people will they'll sell their homes, they'll mortgage their grandparents' homes. Everybody will chip in to save little Tommy that's dying of this or that, and they'll try and save him. People do the same thing with their pets in cities. One of the, the most lucrative businesses to be in today is small veterinary practice. That's for small animals and major cities, where people will literally... Uh, spend everything they have to save the, the dog or the cat, and that's quite natural too. So wherever there's this bonding here and a, a form of blackmail, it's going to be used by unscrupulous people. And professions uh, really, really are, are, these kind of professions are, they are unscrupulous. When greed becomes the prime motive, then all humanity goes out the window and all decency goes out the window and the wealthiest survive. But while they're talking about bringing in a system in the U.S., and now I've, I've seen the study done by the RAND Corporation of, on behalf of the U.S. government. The RAND was asked to do an investigation into um, ways of cutting costs to bring in a system and what the RAND did basically was look at the British system that's been through years of this setting the system up, having it run efficiently, and then start cutting uh, the branches from it as it went along until it's running on bare bones at times. Uh, so they basically said, here's what we can do to cut out all the extra costs. Now, people in the U.S. right now are not refused treatment. That's a misconception by a lot of people in other countries. The taxpayer will pick up the tab, but they will get treatments that they could never have, uh, uh, get, basically, if they were in a medical Medicare system like Canada. You get the bare bones minimum. There's a policy, a policy in Canada and Britain, for instance, uh, to just keep prescribing pills to patients for the rest of their lives, even though it might be shortening their lives, if need be. Because it, it cuts costs, the patients paying the, the, the pills for the pills, and um, a surgical operation that might solve the problem altogether costs money. You see, that's how they get round this kind of stuff. It's all cutting costs, and you wouldn't be in the hospital getting good treatments once that system comes in at the bottom of the totem pole amongst the rest of the general population. You don't get that kind of treatment. I've experienced this in Canada myself. Where I'm in Canada, you cannot get a doctor up here at all. No, there's, it's called the city just north of me here, but you can't get on a, a waiting list for a doctor. This, you can be on it for 10 to 15 years and still not get on it. You have walk-in clinics where you get your this four-inch high number and you sit like a, a cow, basically, till they call your number. You might take four hours or something, five hours, sometimes six hours to see a doctor, and even then, they don't want you to sit down. I'm not kidding. Because they're standing with a, a prescription in their hand when you walk in the door, and, and they want to uh, just give you something to get you out the door again as fast as can be. The flying doctors, that's what they're called. Because they have so many patients coming in, and the government's cut back so heavily, they can't even get, get doctors to stay up in that city. That's the great health system. And because of that, people who can afford it, the few who can afford it, go to the States right now 
to get operations done. Or they could be waiting here for years and they'll die on the waiting list. That's the reality, folks. That's reality. Here's an article here about um, Canadian politicians uh, who don't wait in a queue by thepatientfactor.com. It says, Canadian politicians uh, without a queue. When you think about our universal health care system, do you ever wonder about the fairness of waiting lists, otherwise known as queues? Our politicians claim queues provide Canadians with equal access, very equal up here, you see, to health care. Do they really? Remember the recent outcry when hockey players and their families jumped the queue for the H1N1 flu vaccine? I don't understand why that caused such a stir, because athletes, like politicians, always receive preferential treatment. Do you honestly think that any of them wait months on a list for an MRI or surgery? Do you really? Do you really believe that? They wait months like you do? How can you be considered a queue jumper if you are never really in the queue to begin with? In 2007, the former Prime Minister of Canada, John Cretien, discussed his medical symptoms while playing a round of golf with a cardiologist. He received testing the next day that revealed arterial blockage. Media reported that a cardiologist then requested emergency quadruple heart bypass surgery for the following day. This swift access to testing and surgery helped prevent heart damage from occurring. The Montreal Heart Institute denies that Cretien received any special treatment, indicating that all of their patients received the same standard of care. Oh, really? How many other patients are able to schedule their, emergency, their own emergency surgery? On December 11, 2007, Cretien appeared on the CBC television show The Hour with George Strombolopoulos. And it says, In the first two minutes of the interview, we'll learn that after receiving the results of his tests, Cretien was told that he would need surgery at some point in the future. His response was that he'd like to have it right away, and they agreed to perform it the next morning. When asked why he didn't have to wait on a list like everybody else, he attributes it to luck. Yeah, but he was a good liar. I mean, he lied all the time, the old, old gene. The truth is that luck has very little to do with it. Well, in the campaign in 2006, the media reported that New Democratic Party, these are the passive parties, but further left than Marx. It's called the National Democratic Party in Canada. The leader, Jack Layton, received a hernia operation in the 1990s at the Shoulders Hospital, a private facility in Toronto for the very, very expensive. An interesting choice for such a fierce defender of the public health care system. <laughs> then again, if labor unions helped found your political party, then I suppose you're beholden to them politically and not personally. The truth is that universal health care and its cues do not provide each of us with equal access when it comes to caring for our health. In a 2005 judgment, the Supreme Court of Canada confirmed that access to a waiting list is not access to care. Oh, yeah, you can have access to a waiting list, but not to care, you understand? The shameful part is that politicians continue to shape our health policy and promote public health care system uh, whose shortcomings they will never experience. And that's a fact. You see, they don't experience it themselves. And this came to light because we've got some, this article here, too, from the Globe and Mail. The heart and soul of Newfoundland politics. Newfoundland's a big province in Canada. This is about basically the, the premier, or it's like a governor in the States for this huge province. 
and it says, The heart of soul and politics is in for repair. And it's not in his home province or even in Canada for that matter. Newfoundland Premier Danny Williams is scheduled for heart surgery in the United States, a move that throws into question his province's and his nation's health care system. A source confirmed to the Globe and Mail late yesterday that Mr. Williams has left St. John's for an undisclosed destination in the U.S. to have heart surgery later in the week. The 59-year-old conservative left yesterday morning, spokesperson Elizabeth Matthews said, without disclosing his location. While some of his critics were tight-lipped last night, the online public questioned his exodus, why the, the care he needed was not available in Canada, or whether he preferred treatment in the U.S., you understand, this is the, the reality of uh, universal health care. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix talking about uh, the healthcare systems and how they always claim that it's all equal and fair and so on and just and the reality is always very, very, very different because politics has different agendas and they are always cutting costs in different areas for wars and things like that or to bail out banks and their friends that they're nothing left for the people except on paper, perhaps. But anyway, here's the, the, the premier, that's like the governor of uh, one of the, of the big province in Canada, got another one, actually, he's not the first, to go down to the States for medical treatments, you see. This is the 59-year-old conservative left, left yesterday morning, spokesman, as Matthew said, without disclosing his case. Well, some of his critics were tight-lipped last night. The online public question or questioned his exodus. Why the care that he needed was not available in Canada, or whether he preferred treatment in the U.S. The severity of Mr. Williams' condition is not publicly known. However, he was reportedly not overly concerned about his health, as he told uh, close friends his greatest regret was the possibility of missing his Tuesday night hockey outings. Uh, well, I guess it's very severe to, be, to have hockey on his mind. The remaining details are expected to be revealed at a news conference today by Deputy Premier Cathy Dunderdale. At risk is the already tarnished image of the province's healthcare system, which has suffered in recent years. It's been across the board in the whole of Canada. And then, too, we find in this other newspaper the same kind of thing. And I'll put these links up on my site, remember, at the end of the night, since it's February the 2nd, uh, this article here. And it says, uh, NL Premier's U.S. heart surgery sparks health care debates. Newfoundland and Labrador Premier Danny Williams speaks, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, supporters and critics of Canada's health care system have found themselves in a new debate sparked by the decision of a provincial premier to seek heart surgery in the U.S. The Newfoundland government said Tuesday that Danny Williams would be absent for a few weeks after his doctors recommended he, so his doctors recommended he travel to the U.S. for a heart procedure. Says here, think about the absurdity about Canadians spending their income on medical treatment outside the country because it's not provided here at home, said Brett Skinner, president of the Fraser Institute, the Vancouver-based free market think tank. And then it goes on and on and on. But the point of all of this is, is to say, once you're into a system, when you swear into a system, 
police, military especially, and governmental parties. Uh, you close ranks. Your first job really is to protect the system, the organization you belong to, and you never tell the public the truth, even though the evidence is self-evident wherever you look. As I say, where I am, you can't get, you just can't get a, a GP. Can't do it. And what you get is walking clinics where there's maybe a, a hundred, two hundred folk going through in a day, and one, one doctor there, uh, who'll dash between four and five rooms. They don't want you to sit down because they don't want you to stay. They don't have your records there either, so they don't know who you are. You'll see a different one each time. All they want you to do is to give you something to keep you happy and get you out the door, literally. That's what you get under this health care. And a lot of folk, I'm telling you, a lot of folk must simply die in ignorance, never knowing that they've been neglected, and that they were not given the best care of treatment. And the waiting lists are incredible. Often people are, do die before they can get operations and so on done. It's, it's disgusting. Now what they'll do when they give you a healthcare system is make sure that the special big cities have a, at least a better healthcare system, because that's under Agenda 21 as well. They want all the, the main, the main super cities to have at least something to deal with, um, uh, emergencies, especially car emergencies. That's a show, by the way. We're telling them will be on staff and, and they rush and do all the stuff that you see on TV because people think of, of uh, injuries, hospitals, and what might happen to themselves. But for ordinary, straight-through operations, you just can't get them. Waiting lists last for years sometimes. That's the reality of it. And that's what's coming to the States. And yet, here's the politicians from Canada, not just recently, not just this one, but it's been happening over the years going to the States for the better treatments and getting it very quickly. Thorough treatment. So there you are. Can you really have governments and politics running healthcare systems? Can you really? Because their whole job is cutbacks, cutbacks, and cutbacks. The cutbacks in Britain are so are incredible. I mean, literally, too, and it's reporting, there's reports coming out there where it's so bad now that you've got ambulance guys and paramedics going out there and putting patients on on um, on the stretchers with this feces from a previous patient and blood on them as well. Cutbacks, cutbacks, cutbacks. This article here is from the BBC, 20th of January 2010. London healthcare heads towards a crisis, say doctors. Now, as I said, they'll make sure that the better standard, not the best, but the better standard they're going to give you is in the big cities, but even now they're slashing them. Who are they going to pay, the bankers or the hospitals? Hmm? The war guys or the hospitals? Since London hospitals could close as healthcare and the capital heads towards a major financial crisis, the British Medical Association has said, as much as five billion pounds could be cut from the National Health Service London's budget by 2070, it claimed. This report, uh, London's National Health Service on the Brink, as it was called, London's NHS on the Brink, predicts that from 2011 there will be a freeze on National Health Service budgets, with the worst cuts falling in London. And I'll be back with more on this article after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix talking about so-called universal healthcare systems versus the private. Uh, as I say, I, I, I don't have much regard for medicine at all, to be honest with you, because I think it's such a greedy industry because pharma uh, really runs it all now. And uh, the price that they charge people who are uh, going to die or whatever for pills that might extend their lives a little bit, is phenomenal. So, you know, some certain pills cost maybe a thousand, two thousand dollars each. No kidding. That are not given certainly on national health service systems because of the expense. But I mean, the greed in pharma is so incredible. There's nothing wrong with basically the healthcare system. People, per se, it's when government gets involved in it that it goes down the tubes. And they can only run according to the budget they're given. And governments will always slash back in, in budgets. In Britain, uh, the, the, the hospitals were told to increase the number of bed space because at the time I think it was Blair said it should be so just to keep the people happy and they took all the trolleys off or the wheels off the trolleys in the corridors and called them beds now they were stationary right they were not movable they were beds and and that's how they got around that little wangles to to keep the bureaucrats uh, happy to keep the parliaments happy uh, you can't do that with when you're dealing with people and lives and all the rest of it you can as i say you can certainly get fast treatment for and no waiting list really for tubal ligations, vasectomies, things for depopulation, abortions. But when it comes to regular, because again, you, you've got politics involved then in the medical system. You can't have the two combined. And you always get it with national government-run healthcare systems. And I'm talking about London here now with the cutbacks. This is just one city. It says... Um, to give people, uh, to get a national health service spokesman said, you know, this is the, this is the one who will lie to the public. To give people leading expert care, we also need to centralize some systems. So here's the remedy for the cutbacks. Um, the BMA's report written by health expert Dr. John Lister criticizes some of the proposals the National Health Service London has made public, including cutting the number of people going to the hospital, A&E. Departments by a target of 60%. So I guess we just turn them away. This is, this is how they're going to solve the problem, right? And the number going to hospital outpatients by 55%. That's a great way of solving the problem. Diverting millions of patients to unproven poly systems or clinics that have not yet been built. Cutting up to 1.1 billion pounds from London hospital budgets, forcing wide scale cutbacks and closures. A 66% reduction in staffing of non-acute services, including community services for older people and district nurses. A 33% cut in the length of general practitioner appointment times. The report surveyed board papers and other published materials from primary care trusts in London. National Health Service spokesman Anne Raisbury says... um, Defends proposed changes. So she's a spokesperson. As I say, when you join a party, an organization that's very uniform, 
you submerge your identity in it and you become a liar. That, that's just the way of, of organizations and, and humans. So she defends the proposed changes, which is basically slashing everything by over half. A National Health Service London spokesman said, to give Londoners a better standard of National Health Service care, we need to provide more of the services people use the most, closer to where people live. That's Agenda 21. Get them all out, get them crammed in the centre of the big cities, and, and that's decentralisation. That is exactly what they would do with Agenda 21. And it says to give people leading expert care, we also need to centralise some services to create, for example, dedicated stroke and trauma units, he added. This will save hundreds of lives every year. So, in other words, what they're telling you here, by having everything, less is better, right? And choco rations are up, as George Orwell would have said in 1984. That's what happens when governments run the system. Now, the governments had no problem putting trillions of pounds into all these banks across the planets that just ripped off the general public. No problem. Done so swiftly too, isn't it? So swiftly. But uh, you watch the systems for healthcare crumbling, crumbling, crumbling for years and slashing them. And, sl- and, and that's, this, that's, that's it, folks. That tells you who is important in this system. And believe you me, the bankers won't have to wait in any queue for treatment either. Ah, pretty disgusting, eh? It's pretty disgusting. Now, here's an article here. It's, it's, it's an oddball one someone sent me. It's the United States Attorney's Office from Massachusetts, District of Massachusetts. And it's a point to this particular article. January the 14th, 2010. It says, uh, Springfield, an anesthesiologist charged with falsifying medical research. The former chief of acute pain, that's acute pain treatment at Bay State Hospital, in Springfield, Massachusetts. Now, this is part of a chain of hospitals you get in the private sectors, too. Chains of them. It was charged today in federal court with falsifying medical research studies, including studies that were published in medical journeys in regarding pain management. Uh, United States Attorney Carmen M. Ortiz, Mark uh, Dragonetti, special agent and so on, because through all these different people that took part in investigation, Information alleges that Rubin solicited and obtained research grants from pharmaceutical companies to perform research studies on pain management. Big business. Big, big business for, for people with various cancers. Massive, you know. Yet farmers competing to get the businesses in the chains by even giving little freebies for a few weeks, stuff like that. And it says, often associated with various surgical procedures, but that he did not actually perform this research studies himself, the guy that uh, solicited some obtained research grants. He didn't do the studies himself. Instead, he made up patient data. He, he created it out of thin air, made up the patient data, submitted it to medical journals, and caused false articles to appear in a number of medical journals. If convicted on this charge, Rubin faces up to 10 years imprisonment, be followed by three years of supervised release and a $250,000 fine. The case was investigated by the Food and Drug Administration, Office of Criminal Investigations, Health and Human Services, Office of the Inspector General, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. As I say, where he was working was a Bay State Hospital that deals with really chronic care and chronic pain, and is part of a chain uh, so the guy was really taking the, the kickbacks and so on from pharma 
and putting out uh, very uh, good uh, uh, write-ups in the medical journals on behalf of the, the particular medications that these farmers that approached him uh, were selling. That's how, that's how corrupt the system is. Everything is corrupt. And I've got lots and lots more uh, on these particular kind of cases in the U.S. and elsewhere, where, as I say, they'll often give uh, freebies. For instance, they'll go to the National Health Service and they might give you 10 weeks of a, a free management pill for so many hundred patients if you will take this, them on for a five-year plan. Stuff like that. They're really high marketing, very, very high-powered marketing strategies to sell their drugs. They're very expensive drugs. Maybe not the best drugs, but they'll give the best deal to the, the, the health services for the cost, especially when the government's running it, but not, never the best that's available. That's the reality of it too. And it does make you, you wonder, as I say, it really does make you wonder about the system in which we live, doesn't it? Then out of the, this again is synchronicity, healthcare, aging, all the rest of it. It's all over the place right now. And this is called Inconvenient Truth on Aging. It's from the Australian uh, uh, newspaper, February the 4th, 2010. It says, Wayne Swan clearly missed a great opportunity earlier this week with the release of the third intergenerational report. He referred to the report by the bureaucratic abbreviation 31GR4, but if the treasurer really wanted to appear with it, he should have christened it the iGen3 report. The intergenerational report is, of course, the government's key reference document canvassing policy options for managing the ageing of Australia's population. Every country is at this right now, by the way. The problem being that from 2011 onwards, this is a projection for the rest of the world too, uh, more baby boomers exit the world than generation Ys enter the workforce. It's to do with money, by the way, not how sick you are. The issue is not just a number of baby boomers looking for aged pensions. It's the loss of this cohort's contribution to the tax base. So in other words, as they retire, uh, they're not producing. Remember, the definition at the United Nations of a good uh, global citizen is a good producer and consumer. When you retire, you're a consumer. You're not a good citizen anymore. They, they would rather have you go through an exit home. So it says, the favoured solution so far to managing this matter has been to grow the worker base. In this regard, Kevin Rudd was emphatic on the ABC's 7.30 report last October when he stated he believed in a bigger Australia and further, that he made no apology for that view, meaning bringing more people into it. The Prime Minister's comments have sparked furious debate about the sustainability and advisability of future growth. But it goes down about all the other options that is available. Uh, what can they do? Can they have two alternatives? Strong population growth or productivity gains? The astute political preference will be for the productivity option. Strong population growth demands costly investment in hard uh, and often property infrastructure. It also ignites impassioned concern for environmental lobbyists who don't want so many folk on the planet. Not that we should be listening to them in the first place. They're a bunch of nutters. On the other hand, who is going to argue with a policy of better education and improved access to technology? But this raises the question of what is the range of policy options to deal with the ageing of the population? And then they go through what the governments consider how to manage ageing population. And again, it's all to do with finances. Raise the retirement age. It was already lifted from 65 to 67 years of age. 
However, by the time many baby boomers actually get to 67, I suspect retirement age will have been pushed out to 70. And in fact, with any luck, most boomers will drop dead just short of the line. In other words, you pay all this money into it all your life, and you'll die before you can get a penny back. That's what government honestly really wants. Because they've got other things to do with that cash than dish it out to you every month. That's the reality of the world we live in. For the very naive out there. Now, there's some callers on the line, so I'll take John from Connecticut, if he's still there. Are you there, John? Uh, yes, Alan. Uh, good evening. Um, I'm going to be a little bit off topic um, regarding what you're talking about. Uh, although I have to just say, the, um, when you mentioned about knocking us all off uh, before we get to retirement, the chemtrail spraying is probably one of their most uh, favorite tactics yes. in that department. Yes, it, it does, because the elderly and the young, too, by the way, are getting bronchial infections that they cannot get rid of. They keep persisting coming back, yeah. That's right. Now, um, tonight a, a lady sent me um, a thing from ABC News Channel 7, actually two minutes, um, two minutes, nine seconds long. I could play it, but what it's about is a, um, the computer brain interfacing technology. Mm-hmm. So basically, they're using it now with like uh, for they put the headset on on somebody like it's kids games, and yes. using your mind only, you're able to alter the stuff that's on the screen. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I had heard somebody speak about this before. I'm just wondering what you know about it. I mean, I know they will eventually put supposedly they'll use not just headsets externally, but implanted chips. Yes. And the military may already be very advanced in this. Yes. I just wonder if you could speak on that, and uh, I'll, I'll listen off. Online. Okay, you're absolutely right. So DARPA published an article, it's in my archive section, in fact, from the last year, I think it was, where DARPA claimed that they'd implanted a brain chip uh, in a quadriplegic. Now, DARPA, has, is for the military, has got nothing to do with civilians and helping paraplegics. But apparently, this uh, young man could then email by thoughts, email his friends with, via computer hookup. But this is nothing new. Sweden was leading the world in this experimentation since the 1970s using prisoners in prison with direct hookups to computer. In Canada, you had Mr. Persinger, who's a professor of Laurentian University in neurolinguistic or neuroscience, I should say. Now, he's an interesting history, this man, because he worked and he had contracts with the Pentagon and the CIA in the 70s, working on various weaponry to do with uh, immobilizing people by firing different pulse waves into the brain of crowds and so on. They could immobilize them. But he also worked with a Corbin helmet. Now, the Corbin helmet's been here for maybe 25, maybe even 30 years, and he could put, put this on his students uh, and with using electromagnetic pulse in uh, radiation, uh, electrical radiation, they could stimulate any part of the brain to experience whatever you would normally um, experience when that part would light up. They can cause it to light up and you will have the experience. It's a reverse order, but it works the same way. And, and Persinger and others work in high-level teams with other professors uh, on these very projects. The end result definitely is to implant chips into the brain again, for their peaceful, peaceful, obedient-type society of pretty well the, the very near future. They have the brain so well marked out, it's rather staggering what they, they know about it. And you have to go into the fields of neurolinguistics, 
uh, neuroscience, psycholinguistics, because language is very important. Uh, psycholinguistics is very important in how we understand, and uh, it also deals with the parts of the brain that come in and to interface with each other. But remember, each time you have a thought, uh, clusters of brain cells are activated in unison, and they give off electromagnetic um, fields, which can be picked up remotely. And um, if you do it in reverse order, you will actually make a person think of something, uh, even visually, uh, that kind of thing. There's more than one language, not just written or, or vocal. Uh, there's also the visual. So it's a fantastic field, but they're so far ahead of it. And uh, the chip, actually, I'm pretty certain, is ready. If they can implant one to a quadriplegic, they can make him uh, communicate to people. Uh, they can they can pretty well do it with anything. Now, remember, too, uh, this will be interfaced with uh, regional or, or local computers, you will not design the programs for the computer. Someone else will, which means that technically someone else is now in charge of your brain. I hope everyone understands that and, and never forgets it. What a power tool, what a power trip that will be if this, if this is ever put across the world on any large scale at all. Because if people think that the, the, the big boys are going to do this for you and give you great experiences and leave you leave it at that, you really don't understand your history or you don't have, understand power and humanity at all. You get an, an awful shock. I've actually had young people say to me, well, the brain chip won't be bad. We can go into the Matrix system and fight it from within. Uh, well, the whole point of the Matrix movie is you did not create the program. Everything you do uh, is anticipated. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I am Alan Watts and we're cutting through the matrix and we'll go to Kevin in Ontario. Are you there, Kevin? Oh, I'm not all there, but I'm still here. That's good enough. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, I'm, I want to call in, you know, I'm sure it's been in the news all day. I'm sure every Truth Radio show has talked about it and that was, uh, you know, the, the passing of the, the great Eustace Mullins. Yeah. I'm sure, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's sad to see him go. And, uh, you know, ones like him are sh- surely going to be missed. But at least at least uh, we can take comfort in knowing that uh, truth seekers like you and others are still out there, you know, at least trying to fight the good fight and trying to get people uh, to wake up to what's going on here. Yes, plus he left and a lot of books behind him as well, which will be around for a long time. Absolutely. And uh, I'm sure uh, since you live only about an hour and 15 minutes away from, from where I'm at, Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure about a week and a half ago you saw all those planes spraying the skies like crazy over here. They were checkerboarding the skies here. Yes. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes it's so bad that some of this stuff comes down for it's very cold in clumps and lands on the trees. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it, and uh, I pointed out to some people. Some people saw it for what it was and then just become apathetic. I said, what, what do you want me to do about it? Mm-hmm. Now they still believe that it was just contrails. It's like, are you... Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's pathetic. Well, a lot of people know what's going on, but again, you know, the problem I've always been facing around here, especially in North Bay, 
is apathy. You know, a lot of people know the New World Order. They know they know the, the push for world government in the hand of the Masons and the hand of the global elite, uh, their mm -hmm. Zionists or whatever. Yeah. But you say, well, what do you what do you want me to do about it? Well, that's it. That's their easiest way out. And again, that's a, a a very interesting out that they give themselves. It's very very common, and you have to go into psychology. It is well explained as how people give themselves that option and the outs, uh, so that they don't have to be responsible for doing anything. Uh, it's it's phenomenal, even though it's it's all around them. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, like one of the best solutions to fight this new world order system, I think. Uh, Max Egan's idea for non-compliance on a mass scale, if it's yes. possible to, to be done, as part of one of the best ways to do it. And also, um, if you can get involved with local groups that are trying to uh, not not only to you know to protest and, and to uh, bring awareness to these to these political atrocities, mm -hmm. but also you know to have a group that will be able to fend for themselves and grow their own food and whatnot. You know to have a small community of truthers, you know, like the We Are Change groups mm -hmm. that are popping up everywhere. And like we have one here in North Bay, but you are invited. To join us at any time you like there, there, Alan. Yeah, I appreciate that, yeah. Yeah, but it's true, and this is what people need. They've got to, they've got to really uh, start to have non-compliance because it's a, it's a passive way to do it. It's not aggressive. If you get aggressive, they love that because they turn the force on you, I mean pure force, uh, and then you look bad the way that the media will spin it with selected photographs and shots. Um, so but passive aggression uh, is the only way in a long-term basis to eventually get your goal achieved. And it's going to be a hard battle, believe you me. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, yeah. And I tell that to people, you know, violence is not the answer to the phone of the Lord's favor. I've heard people saying, we've got to march on Washington. Let's march on Washington with guns blazing. I said, you idiots, if you guys do that, that'll, that'll play, that plays right into their handbook. They've actually expected that, and they've been preparing for that very scenario for 30 years with... Multi-SWAT teams interloping, uh, multi-jurisdictional task force in Canada. Um, all, they're all interwoven, all the different services, and they're prepared for any situation because 30 years ago they knew that today, with all these problems, was coming because it was scheduled. Although I'm pale, eh? That's right. Yeah. But thanks for calling, though. That's the, that's the music coming in for the end of the show. But uh, for Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you.